0: Everybody, thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG and MHS network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Martin. Um, I've got a great guest with me today. Uh, I haven't had him on since well, this is 2023 now, so the last time I had this man on, well, it was the first time, was October of 2021. Uh, uh, and I feel really guilty about not having him on since then. So, uh, it is your, it is the uh, the pelicans beat writer for nola.com um a man of many talents a man of uh man of podcasts now a a one of my favorite people in the entire planet christian clark hello sir mort what's new man (laughs) oh my god i love, love that greeting um Sir, I wanted to have you on. Now, now we've been greeted with news that we didn't anticipate before. When I was making this, <laughs> when I was booking this. So uh, Zion is going to it like hurt his hamstring, and he is going to be out. Uh, how how much I, I didn't I didn't get to the part of your article where you wrote about that. So how long is Zion going to be out? And uh, obviously, give me your interpretation of how this is going to affect the team.
1: My official take is a real freaking bummer, man. <laughs> uh, I mean, Zion was playing so well. You know, he'd really hit his stride post-knee injury for 15, 20 games. I mean, I, like, to me, I I had to, like, turn in this thing today for, like, a poll where they asked me, like, MVP, yada, yada, and all-star starters. And I, I put him down as an all-star starter. Like, that's how good I, I think he has been probably out the window now he's gonna be reevaluated in three weeks with what the team called a, a right hamstring strain they did it not provide any information about you know what kind of grade strain that it was you know it's like a one through three scale or whatever but hugely disappointing to say the least um I mean Zion was kicking ass man uh mm-hmm. my single favorite moment from this NBA season was the 360 windmill hell dunk Unleashed on, on the Phoenix Suns at the end of that game, one of the cool, probably the coolest play
0: I've ever seen in person. Mm-hmm. So yeah, big, big old bummer all around. And it happened on a night when Donovan Mitchell went for seventy-one and Clay Thompson went for fifty-four. It's just that is that it just maybe it was a little buried, but today obviously it's a big news. How is this team? I mean. You've been a. I read a little bit this in your article. This team's not had everyone healthy, very much. uh, The Pelicans, so for their entire existence as a franchise, (laughs) apparently. So, how is this going to affect them? I mean, um, when is I mean, is Ingram supposed to be back anytime soon?
1: Yes, hopefully. Um, He's been doing more in practice. He's missed 19 games in a row with a toe contusion. I kid you not. Couple days before Thanksgiving, he basically kicked the back of Dylan Brooks's foot, and he has been out for almost a quarter of the season now, more than a month. With what they have said is a toe contusion, wow. that can that can only help happen to this franchise. I don't know what other way to put it. Um, but yeah, I, I you know he's getting closer. He was like a, I don't know, he went through parts of practice or whatever. And what's weird about it too is, I think the team has medically cleared him. I think it's a deal where. It's kind of up to him. And it's, you know, him managing pain. You know, he got pretty close a couple of weeks ago and then he played this uh, like practice five on five game. And I think he felt some swelling in the foot, some pain in the foot. So he said, eh, we better relax for a while. So, yeah, man, it's been almost a quarter of the season with a toe contusion. Insane. Oh, oh,
0: wait, wait. Foot injuries and tall guys is like, uh, it can become a plague because you'll never feel right. You know, on me as a diminutive sort, I, I I seem to not be plagued with these sort of things. Of course, I'm not athletic. Um, I did. I, but you were, as someone I just recently seen, a very resplendent photo of you in in play <laughs> in, in basketball uniform. So, I mean, what's your I mean, just from your own experience, having a, a foot injury like that, or even with the Zion just just uh, last night, hamstring muscle injuries are different from bone and but muscle injuries can linger forever and especially a hamstring. Um, Is it, is it when you, when you think about this, is it like, is it an injury where he's going to struggle coming back from it due to his size? How do you think Zion can like really adjust to having something like a hamstring injury?
1: Yeah. I mean, like I think any, any muscle injury for him, you know, lower body injury is worrisome just because of how explosive he is. Like I think, you know, the force, the the word the Pelicans like to use a lot, la- the torque that he's putting on his lower body is kind of unprecedented for an NBA player. He actually, before he got drafted, went to P3, that Sports Science Academy. Yeah. And they did this thing called the drop test where you jump like down from 18 inches and you jump onto this pad that measures how much force you generate when you jump back upwards. And he like generated the most force of any player ever. And nice. I think when you just watch him, it makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. the, like, the amount of force he is putting on, like, his lower body is just absurd when he jumps. So, yeah, I mean, I think any muscle injury, like, to the legs is definitely worrisome. And, then, like, the Pelicans as a whole, C.J. McCollum, Brandon Ingram, and Zion Williamson, they played in 10 games together, 172 minutes. You know, now it looks like Zion might not even be back till till February, you know, three weeks minimum. So, it's like a situation where, well, hopefully all three, all three of these guys can play together again you know sometime around you know maybe before the all-star break or something like that
0: i you know look we we know that cj mccollum is still there but really in reality with zion out it's become alvarado's team hasn't it (laughs) 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 falcons franchise player (laughs) he's taken the world by i mean how many three-pointers did he hit against the nuggets i mean (laughs) Oh man.
1: 38 points for Jose. One of the amazing things about this team, uh, of, of the 15 guaranteed spots, the majority, eight of them are either rookie deals or veteran minimums. This team is mostly comprised of guys on minimum deals. Um, so, you know, you have like your Brandon and your CJ is making a ton of money, but you know, this team is so deep because They've hit on all these guys on the margins, like Mm -hmm. Jose Alvarado, undrafted guy, Najee Marshall, undrafted guy. Uh Dyson Daniels has been productive for them. Trey Murphy, Herb Jones. Um, so that's that's really kind of the strength of this team so far, is is the depth and you know, this franchise for so long, like never never got those wins on the margins, and, and they're finally starting to like these last two, three years or whatever.
0: So Assuming that everyone eventually gets healthy with the, the PELs, is there a still an apprehension, in your opinion, about how they'll be able? Because it's such a small sample size, how they'll be able to play together with all three of them. Specifically, I'm talking about Ingram and uh, and Zion. Has is there an establishment of roles? Is there is 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 there this resistance to, to, for like on Ingram side to be a number two, or do you think that they're kind of adjusting to working in harmony due to all the injuries that are going on?
1: I think it's still the latter. I think they're still figuring out exactly how they, they fit together. Um Like the, the Pelicans in the, the statement, the COVID year, you know, basically put the ball in Zion's hands and said, okay, we're going to give you the ball at the top of the key and let you create. And they had some success doing that. And they've started to do that more this year under Willie Green. I mean, I think like the point Zion kind of stuff, you know, letting him be the primary playmaker for this team is part of what has fueled, you know, his his really good play these last 15 games or so. But that's all come without Brandon Ingram. Like Brandon Ingram has been on the sideline for, I think, 18 games in a row. So he hasn't really, you know, been present for Zion going nuclear here. So I, I think they're still kind of learning how, how, to get on the same page. And it was a very different style under Stan Van Gundy than Willie Green. Like Stan, you know, was not so much about ball movement and quick decision making. And and that's very much an emphasis under Willie Green. Like Willie Green came from Steve Kerr, who came from Greg Popovich, you know, kind of that point five basketball, like pass shooter dribble within half a second of getting it. I mean, that's kind of one of his biggest talking points on offense. So I think, you know, they're still learning how to play with each other in that style with with zion you know kind of as, a, as your lead basically
0: well it's a, uh, not as um i don't, I, I i'm not going to try to compare nicole jokic and uh zion williamson because they're completely different styles of players but i mean you were in denver for i think well your last year was the 18-19 season right the when they went to the playoffs against portland was that your last one? Yes, sir. Yep. And, and so you saw a team going like this. Going, I mean, people can't see this, uh, but I'm pointing up. <laughs> <out. laughs> but we, uh, you, get, we were, you were able to see an ascending team. Is the, I mean, injuries aside, is the vibe similar to what you were experiencing around this Nuggets team in 1819?
1: Yeah, it kind of is actually. Um, man, how many how many games did that Nuggets team win? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. It's 54. Like, yeah, I think the Pelicans are on like a 52 win pace right now, and you know it is similar in that the vibes are really really good. Like, is this is a really great locker room? I remember that locker room, you know, being a very good locker room. Um, man, I miss Monte Morris, one of my one of my favorite guys on that team. That um, but yeah, man, I mean, I, I. I definitely see what you're saying. I mean, I just think like Jokic is so good on offense that it's like everybody on that team was like, well, of course we just play Jokic ball. And and Zion is a very good offensive player, but I think when Ingram comes back, there's still going to be an adjustment because, you know, Ingram is really talented too. And it, I don't like nothing makes as much sense as just, yeah, let's just play Jokic ball. Like yeah. he's just literally one of the greatest offensive players of all time. And Zion is very good, but not quite that caliber of player. I mean, what well, Jokic is doing this season is like it, insanity. Like he, he's, him and Zion, if you look at like the points and the efficiency are very similar. And I mm-hmm. think like, well, Zion is so good on offense. What if you made him literally one of the best passers of all time? And like, that's that's what Jokic is giving you on offense every night. I mean, it's... <laughs>
0: that's insane. It's insane. Yeah. I've, I, 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 I didn't think he could get better than last year, but it's different because for the most part, he's had... Murray and Porter but Porter missed 13 games you know with his uh heel so it's a little similar too cuz they've been short-handed and Murray is re- well you 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 know the Jamal experience Sometimes it's great and sometimes it's abysmal, and there's never any in between. There's no just average Jamal game. There's like literal no middle ground there. It's like the NBA. It's either threes or layups, and there's no mid range, and it is it is basically Jamal. So, do you have any players? Is there any players on the on the Pelicans uh, roster who are kind of like a Jamal, uh, where it's just like there's there's no middle ground. It's either all great or or, or all bad.
1: Oh man, like that, that variance kind of. I'm trying to think here. Um, Man, I feel like Zion, you know, as long as he's healthy, which is uh, a very big if, is like a pretty steady player. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I think I've seen like there's times when I've, you know, this is my fourth season covering the Pelicans. Like there's times when I've watched Ingram play and I'm like, this guy doesn't feel like a winning player to me. And there's times when I'm like, yeah, this guy is definitely a winning player. And a lot of it, was just the context. Like he did not like playing for Stan Van Gutt. Even no one on that team did. And I mean, he was just miserable and he, he played like he was miserable too. And mm-hmm. yeah, that was, it was just n- not a very good season from him, but you know, last year, like they got a coach that that clearly vibes with Brandon and Willie green. And you know, Zion wasn't out there at all last year. And I thought when Brandon played, he was, he was really good. I mean, the only, the only problem was, uh, he missed 27 games. I don't know. Does the general public realize how injury-prone Brandon Ingram is? I mean, he missed 27 games last year. I think he's missed 23 games this year. We're yeah. not even halfway through. Like, I mean, he just can't stay on the floor. That's that's the only frustrating thing.
0: It's really hard, especially especially if you're really depending on someone. You all you need a two. You need a you need not 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 a position, but you need a number two. It's the guy who can pick up the slack when the the main the main guy is not in there, and a guy who can also carry a team when the main guy is not there, and that very much is Brandon Ingram, i.e., last year and what they did in the playoffs. You know, Ingram had a great year, and it's hard when someone's not reliable like that, i.e., what, what's happening with the Nuggets and Michael Porter Jr. Danilo Gallinari was like that uh, back in the day, as you know, and there was never any if you're not able to rely on someone, it makes it really hard to designate that person a number two. Jamal misses a lot of games, but Jamal doesn't. Actually, I tell you what, Jamal's missed a lot of games. But as I mean, even when your time here, Jamal played hurt. He would play hurt constantly. And that's a difference between Jamal and other players. So I guess that's a little different, but there's, it's hard to rely on someone if they're constantly out with something and uh it makes that dynamic harder to to uh to crystallize into something that you can build around and you know with the pelicans and you know, my question to you on this would be they're going to be hitting into a stretch of games where they may be i mean uh, depending on when ingram comes back they're going to have to ride with cj mccollum and uh, Al- alvarado and mm-hmm. Is there is it? Do you think they can survive long enough within their configuration to not fall very far with Zion out?
1: Yeah, I mean it's interesting if you look at the stretch—eleven games in the next three weeks, seven of them are on the road. That aspect of it is going to be challenging. The Pelicans have not been a very good road team this year. I think they're they're seven and ten. Um, you know they are six and two without Zion this year. Like they. They have winning records both without Zion and without Ingram in the lineup. Um, You know, like weathering the storm without them, both of them is going to be hard. But hopefully Ingram will be back very, very soon. I I think they can, though. I mean, I I really do think they can. I mean, like to me, Ingram and CJ and then you start Herb Jones and Trey Murphy with those guys. You got Jonas Valanciunas. Like, that's a good five. And you still got some good depth on the bench. You know, you got Alvarado. You got Larry Nance Jr. back hopefully soon Um, you know you got Dyson Daniels like I I think they they do have enough to be fine
0: let's talk about Willie Green Uh, he I was really really impressed with him last year just absolutely bowled over about how well he was coaching this team but I mean um, unleashing Alvarado the way he did on Chris Paul and in that series and just be I, I i think what i saw in him was what i like about good coaches in the nba um knew competent knew what he was doing was able to adjust in game several times and he seemed to has both have the respect of the players on the pelicans roster and doesn't seem to be too arrogant about it, you know? And and to me, that makes that's like the makings of a great NBA coach. What is your like feel this last two seasons with Willie Green as coach?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of him. I mean, he it was an almost an impossible situation he stepped into at the beginning of last year. You know, they they were coming off this offseason where the relationship with you know like some on the team, some of the team's leadership in Zion was not very good. You know, I think Jake Fisher put out that Zion didn't even go to the meeting where, you know, they they some of the players met Willie Green. Right. Um, Zion basically ghosted everyone all summer, you know, shows up with a broken foot, shows up out of, you know, pretty overweight, misses the entire year. Like that I think with a lot of head coaches, like that that just derails the entire season. Right. You know, like started one and twelve, three and thirteen were able to to work their way out of it. Um, I mean, what makes Willie Green good to me is you know i think he's got like a good foundation of stuff he's trying to instill and i think he's very good about like clearly communicating that you know it's like the pelicans are sixth in defense right now Ooh. i mean they they've practically never been a good defensive team even when they had ad and drew um, yeah. they have good personnel but you know i think competing on the defensive end and then offensively they want to play a quick decision making you know share the ball style like you kind of see the Warriors play a little bit um, and they have done those things definitely. And I, I think, you know, he's got some of the right basic ideas he can still them. And I think he's got great emotional intelligence too. Like he's a, he's a very good people person. And I think, I think he's very mindful not to use his own voice too. Like in practice, you know, I know from what I've heard, like he'll let the assistants run a lot of stuff. And then when he feels like he has to step in, he steps in, like he's just not up there talking for two hours. which was a big complaint under Stan Van Gundy. Like I know the players are like, (laughs) this is like a bad college professor or something like this guy's just getting up there and lecturing for two hours and they hated it. Like I think he's very mindful of, okay, this is a very long season. Like we're together for months and months and months. Like when I talk, it has to mean something.
0: Oh, you know, you've covered, I mean, when did I meet you? 2016. You've covered teams for, well, six years now, six, seven years. And this is your seventh year and you are in a, well, you even did, did it in Oklahoma city. So you have this, all this experience covering different teams in the NBA. What makes the situation and the atmosphere in new Orleans unique to the other places you've been so far covering NBA teams?
1: Oh man. I mean, the market is really unique. It's and I, I'm just trying to like state the facts. It's a it's a very small market and there's not much corporate money here. There's okay. one fortune 500 company in the state of Louisiana. So it's a situation where if the team is not competitive, you know, there's other stuff for people to do here, football and, and just a lot of fun in the Orleans. so mm-hmm. if it's not a good product on the floor. People are not going to really come out to the games. You know, there was times last year when there's 5,000 people in the building, Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I've been fortunate to see that change a lot. Like, I think this year, arguably, the Pelicans have had the best home court advantage entire the NBA. It's been an insane environment in there some nights. And it, I mean, the the change from this time to last year is pretty crazy. But I, I mean, I think there are just like certain challenges because of the lack of of corporate sponsors, basically. Like the Pelicans are one of two teams in the NBA to have never paid the luxury tax and you know part of that is probably like has been a lack of investment from ownership and i think that's something that has gotten better in the last couple of years and is a reason why they're having success now but yeah i mean like there's just there's just not nearly as much money as there is in denver it's not even close
0: well and you have a situation where you have an owner who owns both a football team and a and a uh and a basketball team in a market that's not conducive to having uh, that many professional sports teams in it because just the, and I don't necessarily think it's the, uh, the small market aspect of it. Just sometimes like you saw this. And when you were out here in Denver, sometimes there's just a lot of shit to do. And it's just, it's just that you're, if your team's not good, maybe you're not going to devote as much energy into it. But what I've seen from afar, because I, I do want, because, primarily because um i i i love christian but but on the other side of it is that the pelicans are really fascinating to watch so i'm watch this and i see an atmosphere with the pelicans that i don't think i have seen even in their playoff run where they had with rondo when they beat the the blazers uh in the first round i don't even know if it was matching this i just see an enthusiasm around this team that that is um organic and it seems like it really the 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 city of new orleans is really kind of falling behind uh the pelicans um uh at least this season and uh, maybe some of that had to do with uh, what they were doing uh in the playoffs last year
1: yeah i mean i think part of it too is i think like people here see some of them themselves in, in some of the players you know i think brandon ingram falls in that category jose alvarado certainly does uh jose alvarado might be the single most popular athlete in all of new Orleans. I mean, maybe like him and Alvin Kamara. I don't know. I would love to, <laughs> I would love to see that poll. Uh, I mean, it's like a absurd how popular he is here to Herb Jones. Um, you know, even, mm-hmm. even Zion after not really embracing it, the first two, three years is, is kind of all in now, which has been pretty cool to see. Like you said, <laughs> after like a uh, home game recently, he's like, city deserves this, this and that. And, uh, <laughs> By the way, one thing Zion loves to say, he's like Drew Brees told me when I was a rookie, "If you love the city, he will love you back." Loves to say that one. Uh, but uh, yeah, man, I mean, I think that's that's part of it too. Like these guys, like look like people who are from New Orleans, you know, and like uh, mm-hmm. like I think some of the energy is the same too. Najee Marshall too.
0: Oh, wow, you guys! I mean, it, it is fun, and and the Pelicans are are my my second team that I just enjoy just enjoy watching and it is nice to have an entertaining team that is a joy to watch. And what, and I wanted to ask you about this. You, you said your favorite moment was the dunk, right? Flip side of that is everyone. And the dunk kind of symbolizes something to me. Right. And, uh, and just as someone who is tangentially a part of NBA media is I have not seen a team more or I'm not going to overuse organically, but as universally loathed as the Phoenix suns (laughs) (laughs) and that dunk symbolized a lot of different things and a lot of angst. And I think a lot of different stuff that comes out about the suns. And I think Zion doing it and doing it the way he did it was kind of just kind of a crystallization of a uh, of a middle finger, I guess is the best way to put it. And it started out a little bit of a rivalry. Now the Suns have fallen off uh, this year because of injuries and other things. But when you saw that dunk, and you're like, in the back of your mind, it had to be a little bit of this. Yeah, the the the, the Suns deserve this kind of thing.
1: I mean, look, I I loved it. Like, I'm I'm pro playing until the final whistle. I mean, in professional sports, I don't care if you run the score up a little bit. I mean, yeah, it's sorry. It's not like U seven soccer. You guys get paid a lot of money, like suck it up. And I hate unwritten rules too. I hate that in baseball. I hate when the basketball players try to act like there are unwritten rules. Like that's one of the things I like about the NBA. Yeah. They don't really, they usually don't, don't go there and say, Oh, that's an unwritten rule, man. That's not cool. Um, but, I mean, what what is your take on why the Suns seem to be kind of reviled by a lot of NBA fans at large? Like, how much of it is just the Chris Paul factor and that he seems to be a very great but annoying player? And how much of it is, I don't that's know, a, other stuff? That's a lot of it.
0: I mean, I have seen a lot of teams get um, a bunch of crap in the league. Um, Detroit Pistons, bad boys back in the day Um, and obviously there has to be like an element of um, a a, a triggering element right? There has to be that that instigation. Honestly I think it was the Suns going through the 21 playoffs and hitting every team that had a major injury just like completely at the right time the lakers davis go that um the nuggets jamal wasn't there um who did they play in the next round it was uh god who did they play in the, in the in the western conference finals oh my god uh but they they that the, the ones they played then they were they were they were out uh, uh no it was the clippers the clippers they they didn't have Kawhi leonard They get to the finals and they suddenly face a uh, team that was fully healthy and they lose 4-2. Now, obviously, that series was closer than 4-2. And I think the behavior in the 21 offseason is what is just basically is like, we are entitled. The entitlement. And then that next year, the way they behaved, I think that was really it. I think that was it. And then you saw it last year, even after they beat... Um, the the Pelicans, you know, Alvarado got under Chris Paul's skin, which is another factor that you pointed out but Luca saying everybody acting tough while they up was the moment where at NBA Twitter was like, oh yeah I really hate these guys <laughs> and that's Yeah,
1: it. I mean like when you lay an egg like that at home in game seven, whether a couple of your key players had COVID or not, then yeah. people are going to give you crap and is endlessly you know probably probably as they should i don't know it's it is an interesting thing. i personally don't hate the sons I, I like i like monty williams man i i have always been a chris Fall, paul fan i know he's pretty annoying uh devin booker is a player i didn't like when he first came into the nba and has grown on me a lot and i think it's actually i mean not only an excellent player but like someone who's really tough too. mikhail bridges basically never misses a game. Aiden, Chat freaking 70% in the first round of the playoffs against the Pelicans last year. Really nice player. I don't know. I don't, I personally don't hate them. Um, but I understand why people do.
0: I don't particularly quote hate them. I I think that, uh, obviously there's memories from the playoffs in 2021 that, uh, that sons and four, sons and four that you know you keep with you, but that's not the sons. That's just a torpy fan that they had in the stands. But at the same time, I I have never hated an NBA NBA team other than the Utah Jazz in the nineties. I I really hated the Jazz. Um, but as a Nuggets team, that's because all the games the Nuggets played against the Jazz were slogs, and they make you really angsty. And that's that that's basically my my rationale for that um but for the sons i think that's it and you know i've got a great devin booker story i mean um I, he worked out for the nuggets in 2015 uh in his pre-draft workout and he was the nicest dude just was i mean he went to nate timmons and myself and was asking about the city of denver he said he was asking us both where he where he could get something to eat <laughs> it was like it was just it was a great experience he was nice and the nuggets really liked him and i was disappointed they didn't get him but on the flip side of that is like people get reputations as they get into their careers and i think the 71 point game and a loss didn't excuse me the 70 point game and a loss didn't help booker's reputation and all that stuff so i think i think all this is kind of together at the same thing I don't, it's hard for me to picture any other team than the Suns that is like really disliked in the, in this NBA, in the modern NBA. I don't think there's the bad boys teams or like that, or like the Knicks were in the 90s. I mean, I just don't, I don't, I don't see people hating teams as much as I've seen the Suns this last time. And like, here's, here's my
1: personal vote for the team I dislike the most. Okay. Philadelphia 76 ers because. They have got some foul grifters on that team. And in my opinion, that's (laughs) like one of the worst things that's happened in the NBA Like the last, I don't know, five to seven years is the proliferation of of foul grifting and Mm -hmm. just how easy it has gotten for offensive players. I respect Joel Embiid. I think he gets away with a lot. I think he gets too many calls. I don't like it. Uh, James Harden is just, I mean, mean, amazing talent. But I I hate watching (laughs) him. I, I don't respect him. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just not a Sixers fan. I hope they lose in the first round.
0: That's a Daryl Morey thing, though, isn't it? It seems to follow him the 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 foul grifting thing. I think that's probably part of the ethos of threes, layups, and free three throws. I think that's basically his thing. So, I mean, I I'm I'm almost ninety percent sure Morey will encourage that sort of behavior. Um, I I've always liked Joel Embiid. Um, I I think he's a good player um i respect him after this one time in the in the playoffs they were playing and it was not the playoffs but they were playing the milwaukee bucks and uh joella mead was like 15 feet off of Giannis, so was like just telling any any and he was so, it was so arrogant he turned his back on Giannis. it was one of those things i always I'll, it'll stick in my head he turned his back on him while Giannis was at the at the uh three-point line saying like okay shoot it i'm not even going to look at you <laughs> I was like, okay, I, 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 respect, I respect that arrogance. Yeah. I mean, I think Embiid is hilarious and
1: I mean, he is an amazing, amazing player. Um, I don't, I don't dislike him. It's, it's mainly just a hardened thing. I think, I mean, mm-hmm. I just, and it's not even like, I don't know, you know, like people are going to do what the incentives are. I mean, it's, it's more so on the way the game is officiated. I think All it's right. just gotten a little bit too easy for offensive players and, we see during playoff time, like they, they crack down on the stuff and it, it really has to be for a foul to get called. But I still think of the regular season, you know, they, they call too much stuff where it's like, well, that was mostly just the offensive player, f- like falling down. That really wasn't the defensive player making contact with him or that was the offensive player initiating contact. I know they try to crack down on the stuff a little bit, but I, I still think it's too far in one direction.
0: Yeah. I, uh, Okay. I, I you're leading me down my old man path here. So I, I got a lobby lob in here. Do you think the NBA due to rules and collision and, and a collision of rules and, the, and players being just all around good three point shooters. So the spacing is just ridiculous. Do you think the NBA needs to do something to help defenses? Or do you think that this is kind of where we've arrived as a league because I see a lot of complaints about how it's almost impossible to defend in anymore in the league so do you think there needs to be something drastic then or do you think it, it um it's fine the way it is?
1: uh no, I don't think anything drastic needs to be done and and they've they've taken steps um. You know, I, I think a little bit like you can't just you're not supposed to as a three point shooter launch yourself into a defensive player and get to the line anymore. Like that is a step in the right direction to mm-hmm. me. Um, I mean, I think my my biggest kind of beef is when you watch the way post players are officiated or guys in the interior, certain types of guys like a Zion Williamson or Jonas Valanciunas. It seems like you can hit them pretty hard. And I think Yo, you should get some of this, too, like mm-hmm. you can make a lot of contact with them and nothing will get called but when a perimeter player goes in there and, like a trey young for example like he's one of the most egregious examples right. to me and you know like he gets brushed then then that's a foul and i think it's too much of a disparity you know i i, I do think like guys sometimes get rewarded just because they're smaller not as strong and i, I don't think you
0: should that's interesting because i i, I... My radical idea change was to bring back illegal defense and to eliminate defensive three seconds um, to basically shrink the league. I, 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 you can't go out. You can't expand anymore. That They've expanded as far as they can go, as far as spacing goes. And the only thing you can do is contract again. And the only thing I could do, because they're never going to bring back lax hand check. That's never going to happen. It's a, the, Just the NBA hated, hated that. They thought it impeded offenses. And the only thing you could do is like replace, go back to the way rules were in 2001 and replace defensive three seconds with uh, a illegal defense and allow teams to clog the paint. Because honestly, a lot of the points and the insane scoring in offenses right now is because the paint is just wide open. I mean, you cannot step a foot in there and it's hard to reduce spacing in this league that's basically all about manufacturing it. So that is that was my radical rule change and uh, I've been informed that uh, that is insane. So <laughs> <laughs> my
1: other thing too is and I don't anticipate this change. I just think there's too many regular season games. Like I watch so many of these mm-hmm. games and I'm like well, the teams know each one of these is worth 1.22% of the regular season. They don't care that much about winning this game. All right. I mean, I like my solution like Nuggets is, last
0: night, by the way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Just, just play everybody <laughs> twice, play a 58 game, regular season, play one. Everybody once at home and once on the road. And there wouldn't be any back-to-backs or anything like that, which back-to-backs for the most part suck. It's, mm-hmm. it's not good basketball usually. And I, I just think teams would be more motivated to, to play hard and bet to put their best foot forward you know, night in and night out, like that's that's one of the biggest issues I see with the league right now. Like teams feeling like they can load manage their way through an entire season. There's no, there's no real urgency until like after the All Star
0: break. <laughs> the Clippers is <laughs> yeah. I mean, they have it. Are they are they? They are a team on paper. <laughs> it's the way I describe the, the the Clippers. It's like, have we seen them? Have we seen the Los Angeles Clippers? Do we know what they look like? We don't. I mean, when they're all healthy, they get, they're, they're pretty good. Actually, they're actually pretty great. When they're not, they just load manage their way through and they're, they, they, they don't care, which is like a gyp to the fans as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, let's just that, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, But since they've based these things on 82 games, like financial incentives based on 82 game seasons, it's just, I have, I have a hard time seeing how the league will, will go from, 41 home games to 20 something home games and get themselves financially hit. Um, and that's the problem because it's based on this. Now the supposedly not, and, and before I transition and talking about uh, other things, what do you have any thoughts on the proposed uh, mid season tournament? I mean, I feel like I need to see more details
1: about it, but my, my gut instinct is I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it just seems like kind of meaningless games to me. And like, what is going to be the incentive for players to play hard during that time? Right. I, I don't think it's going to mean anything to them. I think the only thing that's going to mean something to them is the championship at the end. So I guess that's what I need to see. What is what is the incentive structure for, for players in that thing?
0: Yeah. Um, from what I've been told... Um, based on people I've spoken to, it is going to be financially based. Um, but in my view, it's just going to end up like a, an all-star game, you know, it's, it's a team. I mean, winning the mid season championship, they're trying to make it worth something worth, worth, whatever. I don't know if you'll ever be able to match what a finals victory will be. And that's that's the problem. You're never going to balance the scale, and I don't see teams having the incentive. Even if you back a dump truck, call of money up to their door, I don't see them having the incentive to go all out for a midseason tournament. That doesn't mean as much as winning a finals. You know. Yeah, I mean,
1: <laughs> it's, it seems like you know Adam Silver gets a lot of his ideas from watching European soccer. Right, And, you know, like over there, like, you know, it's, it's not just like one thing that teams celebrate really hard. Like a team wins a premier league championship. That's an amazing accomplishment for them. They won the champions league, like obviously incredible, but like there's different things you can do and teams feel really good about themselves. Like it's kind of just one thing here. And it's, it's hard to, to see that being any different.
0: You're, you're absolutely right. Okay. Hard transition. Christian Clark. You, I go to you for, um, you're my friend. I go to for all things current and social. Um, <laughs> uh, but we, uh, I, I've been really like this is since January is the, the turn of the year. Every, every guest on, uh, CSG will be asked the same questions you are, um, about what is your best of 2022. Both you and I share love of movies and love of music so first of all give me your best thing you've listened to this year oh man it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be from 2022 just the best thing you have listened to this year man um i listened to a lot of
1: van morrison in 2022 really 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 dive down the van morrison uh rabbit hole into the mystic yeah um i don't know it's probably honestly my most listened to artist in 2022 which is is really weird to say and then just like a lot of like dirty south hip-hop too like just going into like a lot of the the old little wayne mixtapes and stuff like that Mm -hmm. uh so probably those two things i feel like i didn't i feel like i didn't have any like albums that were released in 2022 that i absolutely loved which for the first time in a while, I I felt like that.
0: Well, what would you know? I mean, I mean, okay, I'll I'll throw out mine. Mine was Tears for Fears' uh, album. The Tipping Point was my album of 2022. Um, and I listened to that. God, I I listened to that over and over and over again. Um, but I'm a big Tears for Fears fan, so that's not going to appeal to everyone. Your Van Morrison answer was very interesting because. I just had this vision because I did the picture of you in the basketball uniform <laughs> popped into my head. And I'm like, would, would Christian Clark circa that when that picture was taken, what would he think of uh current, uh, Christian Clark listening to Van Morrison?
1: I probably think it was pretty weird, but the, <laughs> like the Southern hip hop would be like, Oh yeah, this, oh, is, yeah. this yeah. is what I'm into <laughs> at this time. You know, like a lot of like, uh, cash money record stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that would that would probably be pretty weird if you know I was like, oh uh, yeah, I'm listening to a lot of blow in your mind now. <laughs> I don't well, you, I definitely don't think I would have got it.
0: But you're you were you were more um like it's like known you for a while now. You're you are a thoughtful person. So I can see Van Morrison fitting into your oeuvre as they would say. Um there is I mean I I follow you on Instagram, so I see things like, it's kind of like with me, I just post songs sometimes. And then you'll post these songs that you've been probably listening to at the time. And then you generally hip hop songs, but I'm, I'm like, see, as someone who is thoroughly in his mid 40s and doesn't necessarily listen to that much hip hop, I listen, I, I pay attention to what you listen to so I can find out what's good. Because if I did it on my own, it would be terrible. <laughs> so, well, I don't I, even think I
1: really <laughs> listened to that much new music in 2022. So maybe I'm at the point where it's like I'm descending into being washed.
0: <laughs> you are so maybe you desc- should find somebody <laughs> no, else. No, you are not descending into being washed because you don't have the TikTok hair and you're not making videos and stuff like that. You aren't, you aren't. It, to me, you're not full. Of course, you know you can't go by my uh, interpretation of what washed is because I've I've been I've been washed for 25 years. So I I, I at this point I'm just riding out into the sunset. Um, but on the on the flip side of that, you and I are both movie movie hounds. So anything doesn't have to be 2022. There was a lot of great movies released this year, though. I think this was a good movie year. Uh, do you have anything you watched that's current this year and and anything that you watched from the past this year that you really uh, responded
1: to? I just watched Babylon uh, last night, actually. No, two nights good. ago. Two nights ago,
0: and it was wild. Have you <laughs> seen it yet? Uh, I have, and, and wild is a great description of that movie. <laughs> Did you like it? Yeah. <laughs> I liked
1: it a lot too. I thought it was really good. I mean, for those that don't know, don't that don't know, Damien Chazelle, like writer and director of Whiplash, yep. yep. La La Land, very jazzy movie again. Like Damien Chazelle, freaking loves jazz. Yes, he does. And <laughs> oh my god, a lot of sensory overload. And I'm kind of a a sap for those like old Hollywood stories
0: too. I don't well, know. It, it's it set me. in it's set in the transition between talkies uh, or silent movies and talkies. It is, it is like about, it's a, it, it's essentially about the journey from silent movies to what it became later. Honestly, I kind of like movies like that. It's a movie is about, it's a movie it's about movies. It's a celebration of what movies are and survival of movies and, and the desperation that comes with that. And I really felt desperate watching that movie and it's it's hard for me to kind of translate that to someone who hasn't seen it you know but i felt like i felt what they were feeling the desperation of it
1: yeah and i think like part of it too was uh like at the end i mean a little bit of a spoiler but like kind of comments on the modern day state of of movie going and and people aren't really going to the movies they prefer to watch them in their home and like kind of looking at well I don't know what do you lose if if you're not doing that anymore and I think Damien Chazelle is definitely someone who's like when I go to a theater and watch something on silver screen I feel something and I feel like that too like I don't oftentimes don't feel the same way when I see it at home versus like when I go and and watch it there um so I I liked the end even though it was uh, a lot and I didn't expect him to take it all the way there like he was yeah. <laughs> spliced in like a little thing from Avatar which is like okay
0: (laughs) (laughs) he just he just it was amazing um it wasn't my peak of 2022 as you i don't know you have you as you may know i don't know if you do uh i'm a big horror movie fan so ty west had basically at the tail end of 2021 and into 2022 he had x and pearl and both of these movies, if you are not into horror movies, you will not like these movies, but they are both expertly crafted movies for, for, for horror. And they were just so well done. Um, And I encourage you, even if you don't like horror movies to go out and watch both those movies because they are worth it because you will appreciate the filmmaking. And I, I, I think, you know, I'm no expert obviously, but I, I responded to how well crafted both of these movies were. And it is really hard to kind of um, articulate on a podcast about the art of movie making. But kind of like um, Chazelle's Babylon, this is like about movie. It is about movies. It's about stardom. It's about all that stuff. And it just responded with me. And I I loved it. I absolutely love both of those movies. So
1: I did not see either, but I did see Barbarian. Oh, what you like, think? I thought it was excellent. It was like kind of two movies in one. It but was <laughs> it was spliced together perfectly. And I thought, you know, when they got to the Justin Long part, I was like, Wow, this is an incredible twist. And this this worked perfectly. Like it doesn't it doesn't make sense to transition to that, mm-hmm. but if you saw it,
0: it it totally did. It was great. Oh, it was I mean, is that Craigers is, is um you it did you ever see Whitest Kids You Know? Uh no, I never have. You never saw okay. There was a sketch group um that had uh a, a show on independent film channel, IFC, all the way back in the day. Oh, did and, they
1: do the the grape you in the mouth sketch? Yes, yes, that's okay. them. That okay, that was
0: he was he was one of the writers and performers on that. Uh, Black Doctor is another one that was a famous one, and uh, it is hysterical stuff. And you wouldn't think a guy like this would be doing a a horror movie about Airbnbs, you know? (laughs) And it worked. I was really impressed with that movie, and that made movie was filmed for four million dollars, and it made something like fifty million. It's just, I guess, people were wanting something like that. I, I I I responded well to that one. The there were some scenes that shocked the hell out of me. <laughs> so I was like, okay. I, I I just I just like that sort of thing. Anyway, thank you all for joining me on the latest cast. I'll be back soon with another episode. Ta-ta.